what I prayed was quite intentional when I said, Lord, we thank you for your word and we receive your word. And I said, Lord, may we obey it. You know, the word in the Greek, obedience, is a very powerful word. It means to listen under. To listen under. The word in the Greek for uh, listen is ukeo, and the word for under is hupo. So it's hupokeo. That's obedience. It's to listen under. How many of you know that you cannot obey without listening? How many of you know that in a lot of our African languages, the same word for obedience is the same word for listen, isn't it? I know in, in, my, in my language, Shona, we say kuterera. It's the same word, isn't it? To be obedient, to listen. What is it in Zulu? Just shout it out. Exactly. Okay, now I have to include all other 10 other languages. <laughs> Otherwise, people will say, you've screened my language. What is it in, in Sutu? Same. Sounds the same. What is it in Kosa? Ah, same diff, same diffs. Let's go. What is it in Afrikaans? Hey, you guys are clued up. Ne? All right. So, so it means to listen under. In other words, to listen in a yielded and submitted manner. You see, it's possible to listen over. It's possible for me when I'm coaching people to be listening to them but listening with a sense of superiority. But God is calling us to be obedient, which means to listen under, to say, I'm going to listen to your word, but I'm listening as a submitted one. Isn't that powerful? Right? And I believe God is calling us to have that type of attitude when we listen to his word. So this is part two of the series, as my wife mentioned, on biblical honor. How many of you were blessed last week? All right, we're going to go deeper. Last week was like an executive summary of the series, okay? It was like an executive summary of the series. Um, how many of you have done a thesis before? You've written a thesis. It was like the abstract, okay, of the thesis. Am I, are you feeling me? The academics here, right? Some people are looking at me with a blank face, and some of you are like, yeah, hey, yeah, that's my field, that's my area, all right? So, so what I'm now going to do is I'm now going to unpack, right, different dimensions of honor and how to honor different people. Amen. All right. Um, we defined honor as the value and weight willingly assigned to something or someone. The value and the weight that you willingly assign to someone or something. That's what honor is. And I'm giving you keys for your breakthrough. How many of you know that when we talk about currency, many people think of money? But how many of you know that this is a currency in the spirit? Amen? Honor is a currency in the spirit. And when you master the art, the technology of honoring, and you honor the right people and the right things, it will determine your success in life. Amen? All right? Um, what price do you put on your marriage? What price do you put on your pastor? What price do you put on your prayer life? Do you honor these things? I like some biblical definitions of honor, the verb to honor. It means to make glorious, to adorn with luster, to clothe with splendor, to impart glory to something. Isn't that powerful? So when I honor my wife, I'm imparting glory to her. That's too powerful. Come on. It's to render it excellent and illustrious. That's where we speak of this person's illustrious career. How many of you have ever been described as being a person with an illustrious career? Okay. 
That's when people are honoring your career. It means to make renowned, to cause the dignity and worth of someone to be acknowledged. Isn't that powerful? To cause the dignity and worth of someone or something to be acknowledged. So the first dimension I want to deal with this morning, we are to honor God. We're talking today about different places for honor, where we should direct our honor. And we'll continue next week and the following week, okay? We are to honor God. We did a whole series on glorifying God. Do you remember that? All right? We are to honor God. Say to the person next to you, honor God. All right? Now, Proverbs 3 Verse 9 is extremely powerful. I'm unpacking different ways now of honoring God. And I can't cover all of them. We've done a whole series on this. But firstly, you honor the Lord by prioritizing his agenda in your giving. Remember I said to you last week, you cannot separate the concept of honor from the concept of giving. Often we like to duck and dive. We like to avoid it and so on, especially if money is your idol. But you honor the Lord by prioritizing his agenda in your giving. My question to you is, do you honor God in how you give? Do you see all that you have as belonging to him? Proverbs 3 verse 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Right? Proverbs 3, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read from verse 9. Proverbs 3 verse 9. Very powerful. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruit or from the first of all your produce. Now just reflect on yourself right now and ask yourself, am I honoring God from my wealth? Just reflect on that. Am I honoring God from my wealth? Secondly, you honor God by consulting him on big decisions. One of the things I've learned in my life is if I just make a decision based on my natural wisdom or my natural preference, I might make the wrong decision. But when I spend time with the Lord and I consult with him, he begins to show me what I didn't expect. Amen? I remember this week thinking of a certain situation where I was thinking, oh, there's this person and there's this person. Oh, how can I use this person for this and this person for that? And all of a sudden, the person who I wasn't thinking of, their name began to bubble up, began to bubble up in my heart. Amen? So what God is calling us to do is to trust him with all our heart. And very often because we're not trusting him with all our heart, we don't honor him. How don't we honor him? We're not acknowledging him, right? It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. What does that mean, in all your ways? In other words, there should be no aspect of our lives that we don't acknowledge him. Have you noticed that in some meetings you have in the workplace, there are certain people who are acknowledged in meetings and other people are not? There are certain people who are listened to in meetings and other people are not. The sad thing in our Christian faith is that very often God is one of those people who's in the meeting, but he's not acknowledged. Are you hearing me this morning? God is calling us to acknowledge him. How do I acknowledge God? I ask him for direction. I seek his face. I say to myself, what would he do? What does his word say on this particular matter? 
I was talking earlier on with uh, my brother Charlton, and he was just talking about conversations he was having in the workplace with people. And he was surprised by how a lot of people had ungodly ideas about certain things happening in contemporary society. And the reason they had those ungodly ideas, they were not acknowledging God in all their ways. We honor the Lord when we acknowledge him. Amen. What is his view concerning certain things? What is his view? What's God's view concerning euthanasia? What's God's view concerning transgenderism? I'm now going to make it an ism, right? Because anything you absolutize becomes an ism, right? Right? What is God's view? We must acknowledge him in all our ways. The business that you are involved in, are you acknowledging God in all your ways? This is so powerful, right? So it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. How many of us have been wounded in this life? Have you noticed that very often when you are wounded, what happens? It's like, I don't trust anyone anymore. I remember one relative of mine, you know, in African society, you've got my second, third cousin, but they can be close to your family. Yeah. So it was one relative of mine. I remember years ago in the mid nineties, arriving in South Africa and this guy lived in Joburg. And I remember saying to him, being the relational guy that I am, I said, so who are your friends? And I remember Joburg just looks so intimidating. Remember we used to drop off the bus. Uh, we used to drop off at Rotunda. Remember Rotunda? Is it still called that? It's called Park Station now, I think, right? Remember it used to be called Rotunda. Is it still called Rotunda? used to be called Park Station. Okay, I'm dating myself now. Anyway, right? So we pitch up there, and I remember just seeing these big buildings. And I'm like, so I say to this cousin of mine, so who are you friends with here? Have you got friends? And he says, I'm one out. You know when guys say that, I'm one out. Okay? Basically, and he, he seemed proud of it. He seemed proud of it. Some of you know those people who say, I'm one out. Right? And so... Very often, if you've been wounded in your life, you end up closing your heart to people. You don't ask for anyone's advice. You don't seek counsel from anyone. But I mean, if you know that if you close your heart to the people around you, it's the same heart that's also closed to God. And some of you don't seek God's face anymore concerning issues in your life because you've been wounded by people. But people and God aren't the same. Amen. God is taking us to a place where we acknowledge him in all our ways. My question to you is, are there any areas of life where you struggle to consult with God? Are there any areas of your life where you struggle to consult with God? Are there any areas of your life where you are afraid of consulting with God? You know when someone is a believer but they're not living right? And then you say to them, okay, just seek God. Let's pray about it. And they're like, I know what God is going to say about that matter. <laughs> right? That's why there's some people you don't like going to for advice. Because you know what they will say. Okay? You know their viewpoint. Amen? But God is calling us to acknowledge him in all our ways. What happens? What's the reward of that? It says, and he will make straight your paths. Isn't that powerful? One of the prayers my wife loves to pray often is, Lord, may you make the crooked paths straight. How many of you know that a lot of paths before us are crooked? How many of you are into mountain biking? You know, you have two groups of people. You have people who like road biking because it's just a road and they can go fast. I've got a particular friend, 
Okay, and this guy loves road biking and he just goes, he says, I just like being uh, at the front of the peloton, I think it's called, and I'm just going there and it's just really fast. And then I've got another friend and he's like, so the one guy's called Dries. The other guy, this guy called Red, he's like, no, for me, I like the surprise of, you know, what's going to happen and all the turns and all the twists and so on. How many of you know that life is like mountain biking? You can't just go fast speeding down a road. Life is like mountain biking. And some of the mountain biking trails out there, they are very tricky. Amen? I know people who've fallen off their bikes because they were thinking, let me just go straight and so on. And then they fell. My wife is smiling. She's making it obvious, okay? But I know some people who've fallen off because some of these are technical routes. Life is technical. Amen? Life is complex. Road less traveled, life is difficult. Come on now. You can get married to someone, and the time when you get married, this person is hardcore radical Christian. Two months into the marriage, I know situations like this. I know situations. We've got a friend who got divorced um, a couple of years ago. The husband changed his mind. This guy was a leader in church and so on. He changed his mind about Christianity. Like, I'm not into this stuff anymore. So you can do everything right. Premarital counseling there. You're involved in worship and so on. Life is complex. It's not as simple. Amen? But guess what the Lord says here? When we acknowledge him in all our ways, he will make straight your paths. Where there's complexity before you, he will make straight your paths. But what's the condition? Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. Acknowledge him. Say to the person next to you, acknowledge him. Are you getting this this morning? We're talking about honoring God and I'm breaking it down for you. Amen. It involves giving God mind share. In other words, thinking about him a lot. Thinking about him a lot. How much mind share does he have? What dominates your thoughts? When you go from here, between now and the time you go to bed, how much of Jesus do you think about? How much of his word? How much of his ways? Lord spoke to me this morning and just showed me that as I ponder on him, as I consider the things of God, there are all sorts of things he's considering about me, but it's to the degree to which I consider him, to the same degree does he download his consideration of me. You see, God is always thinking about you. But one of the ways you tap into that revelation is considering him and thinking about him. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm sharing with you revelation now, hey? right? He showed me, he says there's an exchange, Paul, that takes place. There's an exchange. The downloads I'm giving you right now, not everyone gets them. It's not that I'm not considering them. I'm considering them. I'm thinking about every detail of their lives. But many of them don't know. Why don't they know? They're not spending time considering my ways and considering me amen he showed me that one of the ways we tap into revelation knowledge is by seeking him and that's what the bible says it says when we seek him and when we seek him diligently we will find him what does it mean finding god what is finding god it's when you seek his face and the things you are asking him you get the answers amen the thing you want from him the resources that are in him you get them you find what you're looking for. Amen? Someone is catching this. Someone is catching this. 
may more catch it, Lord. Some people are ignored in meetings. Other people are not. We defer to them. We always want to know. So what do you think? What's your viewpoint, Tendai? Right? What's your viewpoint, Miliswa? Are we considering God in our lives? How else do we honor God? You honor God by how you use your body. You honor God by how you use your body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 to 20. It says, do not be immoral in matters of sex. I'm reading from the contemporary English version. Do not be immoral in matters of sex. That is a sin against your own body in a way that no other sin is. You surely know that your body is a temple where the Holy Spirit lives. Isn't that so powerful? When you have that revelation, everything changes in your life. When you have the revelation that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, you walk in power, you walk in wisdom, you walk in holiness. Amen? But it starts off with what you believe and goes on to say, the Spirit is in you and is a gift from God. I was meditating on this. Lord, you've given me your Holy Spirit as a gift. Let me maximize on that gift. How do you feel when you give someone a gift but they never use it? How do you feel? Right? It goes on to say, you are no longer your own. God paid a great price for you. So use your body to honor God. Let's just pray that. Just pray that, please. Pray that. Pray that for yourself. Lord, may I use my body to honor you. Just pray it. Father, may we use our bodies to honor you. My eyes... May I I have a covenant with my eyes like Job did. And may you be honored. My hands, my feet, wherever I go. May you be honored. My mouth, I consecrate it to you. May you be honored. All the things that come out of my mouth, may you be honored, Lord. That's powerful. Guys, this is not rocket science. Amen? Amen? You know what I'm amazed by? I'm amazed by how we, you know, everyone thinks deliverance is the solution. (laughs) Newsflash. If you struggle with what you do with your body, newsflash. Newsflash. I'm amazed how certain people, they're always on time for work. You see them pitching up. They can hold down a job. But somehow it's like they can't control other things. I don't get that. Are you hearing me? Okay? You cannot separate deliverance from discipleship. The moment people go the deliverance route, very often the person who they say needs to be delivered ends up blaming someone else or something else. Okay? What changes us, the way strongholds work, strongholds are thoughts in our minds. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 10 speaks of that. It says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty for the pulling down of strongholds, right? And then it goes on to say what? It says that we take captive every thought, right, that exalts itself, every argument that exalts itself above the knowledge of Christ. So here's how the enemy gets a foothold on your life. It's where you accept thoughts and you agree with thoughts that are not in line with his word. 
We cannot separate deliverance from discipleship. So God is calling us to a place where we say, what are the prevailing thoughts, reasonings, principles here in Gauteng? Maybe it's to do with mammon. Maybe it's to do with greed. Maybe it's to do with fornication. Maybe it's to do with lust. Maybe it's to do with debauchery. What are those prevailing thoughts? Am I allowing myself to think them? How many of you know that a thought, thought is a noun, isn't it? But it only becomes a thought if someone thinks it. It's one of those nouns that's produced by a verb. Think about it. You don't have a thought unless you're thinking, (laughs) okay? And that's where thoughts come from. So how do you remove the thoughts? Stop thinking them. Stop thinking that way. Displace them with kingdom thinking. How do we do that? Renewal of the mind. That's why one of the best things we can do for this region is to teach the word of God and to get saints to understand this is the word. This is how I must be with my wife. This is how I must be with my kids. This is how I must run my business according to the word of God. Amen? And the more we do that, the more, the more we weaken the hold of the enemy over our minds. For many Christians in the region, their minds have been besieged by the enemy. So anytime you fall, anytime you mess up, ask yourself, what was in my thinking? What was the stinking thinking that was there that led me to that? Amen? And that's the solution. The solution isn't, yeah, no, I need to go to that great man of God, that great prophet of God. He'll just lay hands on me and I'm now holy. Those are the shortcuts people like to use. Ah, no, yeah, it's because my father's 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 brother's cousin, he did that wicked thing. We've got many father's father's brother's cousins that have done many wicked things, but why are we not also bound? Are you hearing me? When you're a Christian, you become uncursable because you're in Christ unless you give the enemy a foothold. How do we give the enemy a foothold? By agreeing with his kingdom. Amen. I'm teaching you now this is warfare. Warfare is not just, I rebuke that spirit of lust. I rebuke that spirit of greed over you, my brother. Oh, suddenly we are holy. Uh, We would all be perfect because we've bound these things, haven't we? In prayer meetings, we've prayed. We've said, Lord, we are racist. Not in our church. Lord, we bind it. We've done it all. You cannot separate deliverance from discipleship. Amen. Okay. So, many people use their bodies to honor themselves or their flesh. Many people use their bodies to honor themselves or their flesh. It says, the spirit is in you and is a gift from God. You are no longer your own. I don't belong to myself anymore. My time is not my own. Amen. God God paid a great price for you, so use your body to honor God. The next way that we honor the Lord, you honor God by prioritizing your time with him. You honor God by prioritizing your time with him. Newsflash. Is it enough for me to say to my wife, I know it's fine, we'll just talk while you are cooking, I'll just be chatting to you. While I'm, while I'm working, I'll just be chatting to you. And then I never go on a date where we have one-on-one time. That, that's not enough. So why do we say, no, it's fine, just talk to God throughout the day and that's enough. 
Just talk to God when you're driving throughout the day. Just pray in the spirit throughout the day and that's enough. God understands. You see, there's a place for that. Often when I'm driving, I'm praying in the spirit, praying in the spirit, praying in the spirit. There's a place for that as we commune with him. But God also calls us to have undivided attention given to him for a portion of the day. Are you hearing me? Your wife, husbands, will not be happy if you just say, ah, no, 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 I'm listening. Yeah, I'm listening. Carry on talking while I'm just doing my typing. Yeah, no, no, and then I'll also talk to you while I'm just doing my typing. No, no, I'm watching a soccer match. Yeah, no, carry on. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, what happened, honey, today and so on? Are you hearing me? God is calling us to a place where we do both. There's a place where we are praying in the spirit while we are driving, but we also must prioritize that time with him that's undivided where we're just listening to him. Amen? I believe one of God's love languages is quality time. Amen? Psalm 84, verse 10. I'm hoping you're listening carefully because I'm about to download something to you that's so powerful. Psalm 84, verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in your courts, Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. I always used to look at this and I thought, you know, the word better, what does it actually mean? And I thought it was just David, you know, he's got this emotional thing of like, it's cooler being in your presence, Lord, you know, than having a thousand elsewhere. But I started to realize that this word better is so powerful because it's not just speaking of the experience is nicer. It's basically also speaking of the impact and effectiveness of my time. That better is one day in your courts. In other words, the impact and effectiveness I will have just having one day in your courts is better than a thousand days elsewhere. Can I translate it to our lives? Very often that three hours, those three hours that you spend at Ignite, let's be honest, the impact of those three hours, way better than the thousand hours just socializing with your friends. You see, God is taking us to a place where we recognize that when I'm in his presence, it could be corporate worship, it could be prayer, it could be gathering with the saints, that that's far better than a thousand hours doing arbitrary things. In relation to all the things that I do that are good and that are wonderful, I must see my time in his presence as being so precious and better. Are you hearing me this morning? All right? This is the mindset of people who end up accomplishing great things for God. And look what he goes on to say. This is so far powerful. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. There are people who have left church because they weren't promoted in church. David here is basically saying, I would rather be a doorkeeper. Are you you following me? I would rather be a doorkeeper. In other words, I can come to a prayer meeting and just be in the corner. I don't have to be the main prayer leader. I'll just be in a corner. That's far better than being with the wicked, dwelling in the tents of the wicked. Do you know what I find interesting? Last Friday month of each, last Friday of each month, 
a lot of Christians would rather be clubbing somewhere out there, dwelling in the tents of the wicked, let's be honest now, than coming and praying. Can we just go back to the Bible? Is that okay? That's what I'm seeing here. A lot of Christians would rather be doing arbitrary stuff out there than being here. Now, you can translate it and you can say, you know what, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, when they'll talk about the house of God, in the New Testament, it translates to this. Because we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it becomes my time with him, my devotion to him, right? But it extends also from that because we are a household of faith. So it becomes our corporate worship also. My question to you is, do you honor this? Let's be honest, those of you who come to church and gather once every three weeks, do you honor this? And I'm not thinking of anyone, please. Okay. And if you suddenly look guilty, then I'll notice, then I'll think of you. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying not to think of anyone. Right. This is general for Christians out there. Amen. Do we honor this in comparison to all those things out there? I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how sometimes those of us who are soccer lovers, how many of you soccer lovers here? Okay, because it's off season, I could see people had forgotten about it. They were like, yeah, yeah, soccer, that thing, right? But here's the thing. For those of us who love soccer, it's difficult to miss a game. Let's be honest. Everything revolves around, you know, the weekend. It's like, oh, my love, yeah, but can we make sure we quickly finish because, you know, we've got the game. And the Lord convicted me on this. Like, Paul, you would hardly ever miss a Man United game. Even if the guys are now playing, okay. Uh, yeah. And very often what happens, you spend two hours watching this game and the score is nil-nil or one-nil. And you say to yourself, what is that all about? But we were so desperate to watch it. Are you feeling me? We're so desperate to watch it. But how many, and we get irritated if people are now cramping our style on the weekend now. Don't they know I've got a game? Don't they know I've got a game? I remember the one time we had lunch with Michael and Fadzi and their family, my family and their family. And I said to the guys, okay, yeah, my, my, my pressure, I said to my wife, when you organize the lunch and so on, can you just make sure it's done by, I think there was a strong cutoff time. Just explain to them because Paul has got his game. I don't know how great the game was, probably wasn't that great. So we don't, want, we don't want people to mess us up when we've got that game we want to watch. For some of you, it's that soapy. Your series, your series. But let me ask, yeah, just use PVR or something, just record. But let me ask you a question. When your time with the Lord is being disturbed, are you that upset? Or you're like, Lord, they've disturbed me. You see, it wasn't me. Lord, it's not my fault. The kids want me. It's the kids. I'm a mother. Let me go. Are you feeling me on this? We honor the Lord by prioritizing our time with him. This also speaks of value and impact. It speaks of value and impact. The Lord challenged me, everyone listening. Lord challenged me because I would boast 
and was boasting about how much time I had spent counseling certain people. Because the hours I do are freakish. And I'll come home and I'll say, yeah, I've just had a three-hour session with. Yeah, no, 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 I've just come back. Yeah, no, it was four hours with. Yeah, no, no, I've just done back-to-back. Yeah, you know, it was five couples back-to-back. Oh, no, 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 I've just done a three-day session. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was, it was 24 hours teaching. Yeah. And secretly, there was a bit of pride there that, you know what? Hey, I'm working hard. Eh? I'm delivering. I'm doing the hours. The Lord challenged me recently. And he said, you're so proud of all this time you're spending pouring into people. Are you proud in the same way of the time you spend with me? The Lord felt grieved that I'm spending all these hours with people and I'm so proud of it. And he started to show me that, you know what? Because you pour in so much into many people out there, you need to be receiving so much from me. Are you hearing me this morning? Otherwise, you'll be left with nothing to give. And those of you who are gifted, it's easy, isn't it? We just wing it. It's easy to just wing it. It's easy to wing it. I can get up here and I can preach a message and there'll be data. There'll be data. You'll be like the guys when I was in Swaziland who'll be saying we didn't know whether to upload or download. It's like there was just so much data. The data will be there. But only I know and only God knows whether I was completely yielded to him to get the heavenly download. Amen? And that's one of the things I've learned in my life. The things I'm sharing with you now, this is not from a book. This is a heavenly download. Amen? It's not from a book. Lord has challenged me on these things. The next way we honor the Lord, you honor God by valuing his word. You honor God by valuing his word. May God take us to a place where we value his word more than other material. Other material is good. If you come to my study, those of you who have seen my study, you'll just see books everywhere, books everywhere, books everywhere. There's certain authors I like a lot. There's certain people where I've bought... With people like Dag Hayward Mills, I've got about 50 of his books. I'm not lying. Because sometimes when you see someone who's got something that you also want, you need, to, you need that mentorship. And a lot of mentorship comes from reading. Amen? But in comparison with man, the word of God must be way, 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 way higher. Amen? And that's why when we preach sermons, the basis must be the word of God. We must preach exegetically. We must preach expository preaching that is coming straight from the word, where we're unpacking the word, where the starting point is the word, not my ideas. Amen? And it's interesting because when you unpack it in scripture, it says in Psalm 19, from verse 9b to 10, it says, the decrees of the Lord are firm. In other words, they don't change. I remember one guy saying, uh, in one of my workshops saying, yeah, but surely values can change. It's not necessarily a Christian guy. But it says here, the decrees of the Lord are firm. And all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey. Lord, may we fall in love with your word once again. Lord, may we fall in love with your word once again. 
Lord, may we fall in love with your word once again. Lord, may your word be preeminent in our lives, not our cultural ideas, not traditions of man. If they're traditions of man that we celebrate so much that are not in line with your word, may we do away with those traditions. Can I hear an amen? amen. That's where God is taking us. That's where God is taking us. If someone gives you a manual and says, this manual has the keys, I don't know what industry you're in. This manual has the keys to understanding fiber. Fiber. And where to take optic fiber in this country right now. You'll, be, you'll treasure it so much. But here we have the word of God. We have the Bible. And we know that in the word of God are keys for life and godliness. Amen? To what extent are we reading the word? So the Bible should be valued above all other materials. So the first dimension I covered was honoring God. We are to honor God. The second, we are to honor one another, especially believers. I'm going to unpack this. Romans 12 verse 10, it says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. I covered this scripture last week. And I unpacked it. I like it in the King James Version. It says, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. I unpacked it quite a bit. Okay? So how do you prefer one another? How do you esteem each other highly? I'm going to give you a few ways. The list is not exhaustive. But I'm going to give you a few ways. These are practical ways we honor fellow believers. Do you want to hear them? Okay. We honor each other by practicing hospitality with a cheerful heart. We honor each other by practicing hospitality with a cheerful heart. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 to 9, it says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Number Verse, verse, verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's amazing how Peter had to address this because we think early church, these guys were on another level. They had all things in common. These, just, these guys are amazing. Why did he have to say, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling? Because there were people grumbling. Amen? Let me say something. When you offer hospitality, do it with a cheerful heart. When you do it grumbling, you're already disqualifying yourself from the reward that comes with the gift of hospitality. How many of you have the gift of hospitality here? If you've got the gift of hospitality, I'm telling you the reward for that is amazing. How many of you? Raise your hands. Melissa is afraid of raising her hand because she thinks everyone is going to say, Oh, can we come for lunch? Can we come for lunch? Amen. How many of you? Gift of hospitality. Yes, yes. I know, I know. Yes, 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 yes. I see that hand. I see that hand. Am I fresh? These are options, eh, for lunch. <laughs> I see that hand. My sister Chili, I see your hand. Yes, yes, yes. My, my sister Agnes, I've experienced the, I've been a beneficiary. Uh, she's, she's never failed us on that one. Here's the point. Here's the point. Do it without grumbling. That's, that's an honor we give each other. We give our brothers and our sisters. Do it without grumbling. 
Christian hospitality is also not limited to close friends. Many people think they're so hospitable, but it's very much us for and no more. And my close friends who I let into my inner circle, the only people who are allowed to come to my house. The context here, ladies and gentlemen, in the early church, very often when that word hospitality was used, it's actually talking about how you treat strangers. That's why the Bible talks about how uh, some did so and they entertained angels unaware. They entertained angels unaware. They were so hospitable. These people came in, and I believe hospitality actually activates angelic activity around you. And when you do it, not to get something in return. Do you remember when Jesus teaches on this? What does he say? He says, don't just be friendly to people who are friendly back to you. Where's the blessing? Do it even to the marginalized where you're not expecting anything in return. Amen? See, many of us, our hospitality is around, hey, those guys invited us. We need to invite them. How many of you have had that in your family? You've had that conversation. Hey, but they invited us the other day. Yeah, so we also owe them one. Okay, so then you owe them, and then everything is just even. <laughs> Where's the blessing? Are you following me this morning? All right? Let me also say something. Christian hospitality is also about being hospitable to those you live with. I was in prayer this morning, and my wife comes, and I've got a cup of tea there. Sometimes she'll come, and there's like porridge being given to me and so on while I'm there. And I say, thank you. And she does it with a cheerful heart. I don't know what the setup is like in your households, but are you hospitable to one another? And it doesn't have to be the lady doing it to the guy. You know, in many families nowadays, I ask, when I'm coaching people, I say, so who's the main cook in your household? And often it's the guy also. Just who, who does it better? You know what I mean? If I was the one who was the main person doing it, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want food poisoning for my family and that kind of thing. Okay. So I do what I do. She does what she does. Amen. And I, I, I know some couples where both of them are good at it. So there's a competition that happens. And I've also been a beneficiary. And welcome back, by the way, Sipo and Maruping. Um, I, I think many of you know that Sipo recently lost his mom, his mom, Gloria, an amazing woman of, of God, amazing uh, funeral, amazing testimonies that have come out of it. And we're standing with you guys still during your time of grief. Amen. Okay. These guys are amazing cooks. Amazing. The two of them. And they, they compete with each other. Like, oh, I did this. Oh. But for them, it's also a bonding time. It's also bonding time. Amen? All right. So we honor each other by being hospitable to one another with a cheerful heart. We also honor each other by restoring each other gently. That's actually one of the ways you honor. You show honor in how you counsel people. Amen? And look, look at this. This is so powerful. It says in Galatians 6 verse 1, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, so just think of all those things that are sin, right? You who are godly, what should you do? It says, should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. You know the mistake we make in the body of Christ? We see someone in sin and we ignore it. Like, hey, they'll think I'm jealous of that boyfriend they've got. Hey, no, I'm leaving that one. Hey, the, the pastors can deal with that one. It doesn't say the elders. It says you who are spiritual. So if you are, if you've overcome that sin in your own life, 
and you know about it, your responsibility is to go to your brother. Are you hearing me? Your responsibility is to go to your brother or to go to your sister, right? And then I love the way it puts it because it's, it doesn't just say just go to them and tune them out. It says you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. So the goal is always restoration. Is someone hearing me? All right. And then it says, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. So what makes you humble and gentle when you're correcting someone? It's the realization that you can also fall in that area. And many people do. You know how many people fall? Because they make unrighteous judgments on situations. So they've got this self-righteousness about them. How could you? You know, that, that mindset of I'm better than you. Uh-uh, guys. When someone falls, you restore them, but with humility. And very quickly, you look at yourself and you say, God, keep me from falling in this same area. Amen? You know that very often when someone falls, sometimes it's because of a spiritual assignment against a particular local church. Do you know that? And, and the brother or the sister will fall because their mind wasn't strongly renewed and there wasn't strong accountability in that area. And if you also are in a weak spot, you will also fall. Amen? You'll also fall. So let's do it gently and humbly. And when you do it gently and humbly, you're not condoning the sin, by the way. You know, those people who are like, I know it's okay, my brother. Yeah, I know it's fine. God understands. You're still being direct. You're still speaking the truth, but in love. Amen? It's that gentleness and that humility that's a sign of honor. It's a sign of honor. We honor each other by doing good to each other. Galatians 6 verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. But what is it going to say? Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Isn't that powerful? So we can't just be doing stuff for random people out there if we're not also taking care that we do it for fellow believers. We honor each other by judging matters internally. Don't be too quick to go to court with a fellow believer. Yes, I understand that when there are criminal acts that are done and so on, obviously people are taken to jail, the police come, it becomes a police case. But you know what needs to be restored to the body of Christ? We need to have strong church government. We need to have strong church government so that when we have squabbles amongst ourselves, it's not getting out to the world and the world is thinking, these Christians, is this what they're up to? There's a way I honor you as my Christian brother by being able to address things internally. Amen? Look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. Suppose one of you wants to bring a charge against another believer. Should you take it to ungodly people to be judged? Newsflash. When we talk about ungodly people, it includes family. Let me just address this issue because it irritates me. Some of you, when you go through stuff, the first people you run to is your mom and your dad. Be very careful about that. There was a couple I was counseling some time back. The guy had been cheating multiple times. It's like new things kept on coming up each year, right? 
And at some point, his wife speaks to the mother, to the guy's mother, saying, is there anyone in your family that can help him and just put him straight, please? Why? What has he done? What has my son done? No, my, your son has been cheating on me. And the son had confessed this. What does the mother say? No, not my son. Can't be my son. No, if it's my son, then maybe there's something you've been doing. Family, 99.99% of the time, takes sides. Is it just me who thinks that? <laughs> Guys, you've got a church. You've got pastors who deal with these things every day. Pastors who love you both. Don't be quick to say, yeah, and then I spoke to my cousin brother, then my cousin brother said, and then, the, then there's this big family fight. Yeah, and then the reason why our marriages failed is because they're doing juju because on this side, then now I'm counseling people because it's like, she's saying my family has got juju, but their family is worse. I'm not exaggerating. This is what I deal with. When we talk about judging things internally, we are talking about internally, local church. Amen? Maybe you think your uncles are wiser. It's fine. If they pastor churches, go to their church. Go to their church. Are you hearing me? Why do we do that? Then it gets complicated because we counsel people in one direction and then people are moving. I'm not saying you cannot speak to family members concerning something, but please don't place that higher than this. Are you hearing me this morning? Let's value the local church. Let's bring back church government. I'm going to show you now in scripture if you think Paul is just coming up with his nice ideas. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. It says, why not take it to the Lord's people? Who are the Lord's people in your life? Why is it always outsiders? Why isn't it people in your local church? This has to be real church, folks. It has to be real church. It says this, why not take it to the Lord's people? Or don't you know that the Lord's people will judge the world? Since this is true, Aren't you able to judge small cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? Then we should be able to judge the things of this life even more. Do you know, do you know the wisdom of God that comes upon me in some situations? Ah, my brother, this, this, yeah, pastor, this brother cheated me out of this, cheated me out of that. There's a supernatural grace because we're doing it with the right order. And we get, a wisdom, we get the wisdom and it's sorted. Watch this. It says, then we should be able to judge the things of this life even more. Verse 4. So suppose you disagree with another in matters like this. Who do you ask to decide which of you is right? Do you ask people who live in a way the church disapproves of? All those lawyers you quickly run to, look at their lives, how immoral they are. Of course not. I say this to shame you can also say it now. Those of you who are doing this, I say this to shame you, according to the word of God. Oh, it's so nice having the word backing me. <laughs> is it possible that no one among you is wise enough to judge matters between believers? Instead, one believer goes to court against another, and this happens in front of unbelievers. Can you see we're airing our dirty laundry out there and the church is getting a bad name? You're trying to be an example 
to your extended family because you're a believer. But now you've been witnessing to them for five years, six years, saying, Lord, may they get saved. Lord, may they get saved. Now you go through difficulties and they're the first people you run to and they're now judging you saying, what's up with you guys? This Jesus you say you believe in, okay, interesting, but I'm not going to have any of that. Amen? Now, this can only happen when there's strong church government. When there's strong church government. In Matthew 18, verse 15 to 20. And I want to say this, and I want to say it very strongly, because this is how we ought to be addressing issues in the church. Is everyone there? If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Now, your brother or sister can be your husband or your wife. Amen? It can be your child. It can be your friend. And do this just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along. So guys, ladies, gentlemen, if you reach a deadlock in your marriage and your spouse is not living biblically and you've addressed it, and they have not changed. There is nothing wrong with speaking to someone else about it who can help to restore. It's not gossip. And I'm saying this because there's a lot of emotional abuse that happens in marriages today. Where there's this pressure like, no, no, it's a secret. No, you can't say anything. And I see a lot of people in marriages feeling this guilt. Like, oh, I've, I've let the cat out of the bag. Oh, I told someone about it. You don't tell the whole world. But you speak to someone who you know can speak into the situation. Are you following this morning? Right? And if you disagree with this, it means you think you can do better than Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who taught this. Right? And then it says, if they listen to you, you have won them over. Can you see the heart is restoration? The heart is giving people a chance. It's not to say if your spouse does something wrong, just give up on them completely. Can you see? If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along. One or two others along. So they're now about three of you, right? So that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. You know what used to happen in the, old, in the, in the New Testament? In cases like this, the thing will then be announced. We've, we've addressed this with this brother a number of times, the three of us, the four of us. Guys, we want to announce you, this is a brother or this is a sister in our midst. They are not changing their ways. We're announcing it to you. We're telling you. This is the, you guys are the church, right? That's what they would actually do. And you know what would happen? The fear of the Lord would hit people. And people then would think differently before they do things. Amen? They see the seriousness of it. And I believe this needs to come back to the body of Christ needs to come back to the body of Christ. That's, that's where church becomes powerful, and I'm going to show you this. It says, and we go on here, it says, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, they have nothing to do with them. Verse 18, look at the link, look at the link. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two or three, if two of you 
on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. What is the context? What is the context? It's about agreeing also that certain things are wrong. Are you following? That was the context of the scripture. Many people quote this just thinking like, oh, it's just talking about agreement concerning what I desire. It's also about agreement concerning what's wrong. And then it goes on to say, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. You know why this is honor of one another? It's showing how we honor the church, how we honor brothers and sisters, how we honor those two people who come forward and address an issue and say, my sister, you've messed up here. This needs to stop. My brother, my uncle, my cousin, my father. We're honoring that. Amen? And we're honoring it above the lawyer down the road. This is powerful. We're going to judge the angels. We're going to judge the angels. Hmm. I'm hoping you're getting this. There is a level of breakthrough the church will experience when there is agreement about matters of discipline. I'm going to do the third one, and then I'll have to close. We are called to honor older people. We're called to honor older people. There's a handful of people who are older than me in this church. I'm called to honor them. Amen? This is something we need to restore to the church. This is something we need to restore to the church. We live in a society that is trying to avoid getting old. I mean, if you, if you look at the anti-aging industry, it's massive. Right? But you know what happens at a subconscious level? We look down upon and we despise the old, the aged. I've seen it happening. Wow, this person can't do anything for themselves now. Ooh, I would never want to be that. We're seeing it happening. Do you want to know what the word of God says about how to treat the older people? Extremely powerful. Extremely powerful. Because the Bible views old age differently. Now renew your mind. Let's renew our minds. Let's see what the word of God says and let's not argue with it. Psalms, the book of Psalm 92, verse 12 to 14. It says, but the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare, the Lord is just. He is my rock. There is no evil in him. How many of you want to claim that for your own life? That you will still be fruitful even in your old age. I'm receiving that. Proverbs 16 verse 31 says, Gray hair is a crown of glory. Gray hair is a crown of glory. How many of you have gray hair here? You don't have to raise your hands. Oh, I'm seeing lots of hands here. I'm seeing lots of hands. Sometimes that gene kicks in earlier on. Eh? Okay. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is obtained by following a righteous path. I'm just, I'm just trying to show you how the word of God celebrates the older people. Proverbs 20 verse 29. The glory of the young is their strength. 
The gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. Let me just say something. You can be an old person but not have a lot of experience. You can be an old person who says, I've been doing this for 25 years. Now, I've been doing this for 65 years. But it's just been one year's experience over and over and over again. You know what I'm saying? There's some people who've been doing things for 10 years and they've got the equivalent of 50 years experience because they maximized on those 10 years. So just because you've been doing something for a long time doesn't mean you've got a lot of experience. It's what you do during those years. Amen? There are a lot of old people that are bitter today. I just wanted to put that as a qualifier. However, what does the Bible say? It says the glory of the young is their strength. The gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. Externally, they might look frail, but inwardly, there's often a wonderful work that the Lord has been doing. And we need to respect that. Amen? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 17, Paul says, That is why we're not discouraged. Though outwardly we are wearing out. Because of course, there's wear and tear on our bodies. Amen? The things I used to be able to do, um, I, can't, I can't do some of them as quick nowadays. I'm still faster than all three of my boys uh, in terms of sprints, that is. Okay, like just 50 meter dash, maybe 60 meter dash. Okay. <laughs> but the point I'm making is, though outwardly we're wearing out, inwardly, We are renewed day by day. Our suffering is light and temporary and is producing for us an internal glory that is greater than anything we can imagine. Just because you're not as quick as you used to be doesn't mean you're not strong on the inside. Just because you're not as fast, in my case, just because I'm not as fast as I used to be doesn't mean my spirit man isn't doing powerful things. Amen? Don't judge yourself based on how you feel on the outside. Don't judge yourself based on how you look on the outside. I know what it's like. I know some of you ladies, you're nervous now because you're like, my husband is almost 40. Is he going to trade me in for 220s? What's going to happen? Amen? No, he's not. Now, God still uses people in their old age, and we need to hear their testimonies. In the book of Psalms, verse um, 18 to 19 of the 71st Psalm, Psalm 71, 18 to 19, it says, Now that I am old and my hair is gray, David seemed to have this thing about gray hair, and my hair is gray, don't leave me, God. I must tell the next generation about your power and greatness. As you grow older, ask God not to leave you. Why? The next generation needs to know about his power and greatness. Those books need to be written talking about testimonies about God's power and greatness. The next generation needs it. It says, God, your goodness reaches far above the skies. You have done wonderful things. God, there is no one like you. I want to close by sharing with you a number of ways we can honor older people. And by the way, you'll see some of these. It's talking about people who are old, but it's also talking about people who are older than you. Are you ready? I'm going to close with this. Watch how you correct them. Watch how you correct them. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, it says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly. 
So all, who are the, who are, which men here are older than me? I'm 44 this year. Which men are older than 44? Yes, Mr. Manyungwa. Yes, yes. I see that hand. I see that hand. Okay, just a handful of you. About five of you are my senior age-wise here. Just wanted to see, you know. Just wanted to see. Okay. The Bible says I can't rebuke you harshly. But you know what it says? It says, rather appeal to them as you would a father. So I'll still tell you the truth. If correction is needed, I'll still give it. But there's a way that I can speak to Sipo Zumbira that I can't speak to Tendai Manyumwa. Are you hearing me? Even if I'm communicating the same message. That's what the Bible says. This is what Paul was saying to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. And Paul basically said, do not rebuke an older man harshly. So you can still rebuke them. For those five of you who raised your hands, it won't, it'll never be harsh. Okay? But it says, but exhort him as if he were your father. Then it says, treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. How many older women are here? Older than me, who are my senior. Okay. <laughs> My, my wife is a few months older than me, so, so she was like, <laughs> oh, she's a smart woman. Thank you, Lord. I received that. I received that. So the principle applies because it says that I must treat older women as mothers, but your wife ain't your mama. Oh, but that's not a verse. Okay. And younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Amen. All right. So watch how you correct them. Correct them still, but not harshly. Amen? The next one, demonstrate respect through your body language. One of the things that irritates me is if an older person, whether it's a domestic helper, a gardener, if they walk into our house and, my, and, and they greet my kids before my kids have greeted them, it irritates me. I don't know if any of you are feeling me on that one. I get irritated. I'm like, they shouldn't be greeting you. When we get into the car, we come with Uncle Ben in the car. I, I'm sure, uh, Uncle Ben, you agree with me. My kids have improved, eh? As soon as you get into the car, and I say, hi, Uncle Ben, hi, Uncle Ben, hi, Uncle Ben. Hi, guys, hi, guys. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 19. I don't know if any of you have seen the scripture before. Verse 32, it says, stand up in the presence of the elderly. And show respect for the aged. Fear your God. I am the Lord. You know, there are certain cities in the world that are age-friendly. A lot of our cities in South Africa are not age-friendly. You know what I mean by age-friendly? Not everyone can go downstairs without railings that they can hold on. A lot of our cities here aren't designed for older people. If you go abroad, if you go to certain cities like in Australia and so on, you'll see there's certain cities, just go and Google it, age-friendly cities, where everything they do, they take into consideration older people. It's partly because our life expectancy in this part of the world is, is not that high. A lot of people die young and so on. It's not as high as some other places. I go to some cities and I'm like, there are a lot of old people. You notice it. How many of you are feeling me on that? You notice it's like, ah. And I'm not used to it. Centurion is a very young place. There are a lot of kids and a lot of young families. Okay? But it says stand up 
in the presence of the elderly. Isn't that powerful? One of the things I often do as a way of honoring women, the Bible doesn't say I must actually do this, but it's just one of those things I like to do. If a lady walks in through the door and we're having a meeting, some of you ladies have seen me doing it. I stand up. I don't know if you noticed. I actually stand up. I actually stand up and then I greet them and so on and then we sit down and so on. There are things you can do with your body language to show that you honor a group of people. What I've just given you is an example of honoring the opposite sex. Amen? You can see some of the ladies here are impressed. Okay? <laughs> I don't open doors for my wife and things like that. So often because she's quick to get to the car door and she's quick in front of me. She's just like quick. I'm like, hey, okay, yeah, do your thing. Okay, so let's just watch out in terms of body language, all right? Another way of honoring older people is humble yourself before them. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Another thing we can do with older people is defer to them. Defer to them. In Job chapter 32, verse 4, it says, Now Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he. In other words, when you're speaking to older people, don't dominate the conversation. Defer to them. Let them speak first. There are times we have to address this in our household. And my wife keeps stepping in, wanting my sons to be honoring me. So it's like, listen to your father. And rescuing me out of tricky situations. Because nowadays you've got young people who want their views heard. And it's important. I'm going I'm to teach very powerfully next week on how to honor children. There's the way you honor the unborn child. Right? The Bible talks about that. But there's a way we honor children. Do you remember how the disciples would be chasing people away? And Jesus says, no, let these kids come to me. One of the ways we honor children is by including them. And not banishing them. One of the ways we honor our children is by not having policies like children must be seen, not heard. How many of you grew up like that? Okay? We honor them by giving them a seat at the table and allowing them to be heard. I just wanted to say that, a quick cameo foretaste for next week, okay? Especially because it's Youth Day today and I didn't get around to talking about honoring children. So we honor older people in certain ways. And the final way we honor older people is seeking their counsel. Seeking their counsel. In 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 6, there were some older men who had helped Solomon make decisions when he was alive. So King Rehoboam asked these men what he should do. He said, how do you think I should answer the people? We draw from their wisdom. Not any old person, by the way. But we draw from their wisdom. Amen. Let's pray. Maybe you are here and there's something that I've said that has spoken to you with regards to honor. It might be to do with honoring God, prioritizing your time with Him, honoring Him with your wealth. It might be to do with honoring His Word, where His Word has kind of taken second place in your life, or third or fourth. Or maybe it's to do with honoring 
other people. Practicing hospitality without grumbling. Or maybe for some of you, you've honored extended family so much. But in terms of the role of the church, you've just seen the church as some arbitrary organization in relation to other people and the courts out there. Maybe for some of you, you know in your heart that blessing is being short-circuited because you have not truly honored older people. You've despised them. I don't know what category God has spoken to you in, but I want to ask us if any of those have touched you, stand where you are and we're going to pray as a church. pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth in your word. I thank you, God, that your word is light and that you are making the crooked path straight before me. I receive your word this morning. I choose to be a person of honor. I choose to honor those you've called me to honor. And I ask for your grace to enable me to do so. May you forgive me, Lord, where I've dishonored. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray right now that where my brothers and sisters, where we've been bound by the enemy because of dishonor in our lives, whether it's dishonoring each other or dishonoring your word, dishonoring you, dishonoring older people. I ask, Lord God, that this thing is broken off us as a church and as individuals and as households. Forgive us where we've dishonored your church and your people. Father God, I thank you that this thing is being broken off my brothers and my sisters right now and you're, you're disarming the work of the enemy over them. I thank you, God, that you're loosing us to a place of blessing in our lives as we embrace honor. And I thank you that it'll be a new day and a new season. And so I bless this congregation on this Father's Day. I bless them with the Father's blessing. In Jesus' name.